Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, folks. And we are here to help. You're listening to The Booking, of course. If there was any doubt about that, I said we were here to help. You should have known. Listen, today we are going to be giving you suggestions of books to buy for even the most difficult people in your life. Some of, yeah. them, some of the most difficult people in your life. But who are we? Well, I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got Jake Menzel. He's the pastor who's a master of reading right there. It's me. How's it going today, Jake? Pretty good. <coughs> Pretty good. Ex- excited for <coughs> death? <laughs> death? <laughs> Maybe I need some water or something. I'm probably fine. Probably fine? Okay. Jake, yeah. you have filled out a form I have. that contains a number of categories, which we will be walking through together, and we will each be giving our our answers to the best book to buy for Christmas Yep. for this person Yep. in this category. And the only rule was no repeats. Yep. Because otherwise, I think this would have been a very short episode where it we just said, been, buy everybody East of Eden, buy everybody Pride and Prejudice. Buy everybody Anna Karenina. Yeah, ba- basically, good. honestly, just buy everybody Anna Karenina. Yep. Uh, or Pride and Prejudice, maybe, if you if your group skews a little younger and they're more romantically involved or something like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's not what we're gonna. Ha- what's gonna happen? So nope. Only one person was allowed to get Anna Karenina. Yep. And I assume we probably both chose one person to get Anna Karenina, but we'll find out who. Or maybe we thought no one on our list is. I don't know. Let's let's walk through it. So, Jake. Yep. For a bad male child, what book? Well, first, let me say that I made some assumptions. Okay. And you didn't say child, you said boy. A bad boy, yeah. And so I, my first assumption was that everybody is 16 and older because if they're younger or maybe 14 or 15 or older, basically okay. teenagers and up is what I decided. Okay. Because I didn't want to get into the realm of kids' books. Okay. Because then the answer is just become by everybody, Charlotte's Web and Narnia and The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Right. And Watership Down. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But this person, whatever age he is, he really deserves coal in his stockings, I think, is was is what he deserves. Or maybe he's a bad boy. I, I specifically he's, said I leave the interpretation of these categories yeah. entirely to you. Yeah. And here's my answer. Yeah. East of Eden. Okay. Because he doesn't have to be a bad boy. He doesn't have to be a bad boy. Timshel. Timshel. He mayest not be a bad he boy. He not. Bad boys usually come from big problems and... East of Eden is a book where you can process a lot of that stuff and realize you don't have to be just because your dad was a jerk and his dad was a jerk and you feel bad and rotten and crummy all the time and like you want to hurt something. Your mother was a psycho. uh, was a psycho. Bordello runner (laughs) (laughs) lady. You don't, you don't have to, you can break the cycle. You can break the cycle. Temptual. And so East of Eden, my thought was... Hey, you got that kid who just feels like he's a bad boy and that's who he is and he can't do anything right. So he might as well just be a bad, you might as well embrace the bad kid identity. Mm-hmm. Give him East of Eden and help him process some of that grief and father hunger and realize, hey, you don't have to be. You don't. Well, that's a very compassionate answer. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> so, no, object I, lessons for bad boys. Well, I was I was assuming a little bit younger. I was assuming under teenage, not not an adolescent. Yeah, that's so, fair. So that's fair. But I was also my reasoning also was not entirely vindictive. What I thought is actually the most useful thing about Charlie in the Chocolate Factory is not. It, the powers of of threatening that it has like oh no if you chew too much gum you'll turn into a blueberry or whatever happens but more just like a little perspective like Roald Dahl's one of those angry cynical people who just admits what everybody else doesn't want to admit so he's kind of like hey guess what all you Veruca salts out here this is what everybody thinks of you and your stupid family and here, here's a little perspective so, yeah, there you go. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Now, our next category is a good boy. How did you interpret this category? I mean, I'm following the same logic here. So, my good boy, mm-hmm. he gets something wicked this way comes. Okay, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And 
part of my reasoning is it doesn't matter how good he is. Right. There's something wicked in all of us. Okay, yeah. And there's evil in this world and he's going to have to face it and he may feel silly and stupid and small and ill-equipped for it. But whether the evil is inside of him or outside of him, he's going to have to face evil. And this is a sweet, a sweet book to help a young man process that sort of thing that's a little more mature in its way than just Lord of the Rings. It's not just pure boys adventure book, right. you know, where you deal with evil out there and stuff like that. So right, right, right. It's got some internal pro- processing as part of part of the package. And, and some sympathy some, for dad and some empathy for dad. Just yeah, some, some dad, which I think if we're saying, okay, he's a teenager, he's differentiating, he's processing the sins of his father or whatever. And so it's a way to do that and deal with evil of the world and still have some cultivated sympathy for dad and all of his failures in the process, no matter where you're at. I agree hundred percent. I will say East of Eden or not East of Eden. East of Eden is one of the books that people thank us the most for something wicked is one of the ones that people most pick up based on our podcast. And Number I'm one, disappointed by, well, it's, I think there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, it's, it looks really juicy. Like it's, it's, it's short. Mm-hmm. It's got like creepy crawly stuff. Like, People are just like, oh, that's 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 fun. I can read that in an afternoon, and they grab it. And then I, I'd say more often than not, they're disappointed. They just hit up against Ray Bradbury's prose stylings, and they yeah. they can't stomach it. Yep, that's true. I've had that same experience. Still a good story. I don't know. Yeah, I just I'm keeping it there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I I understand. I don't like purple prose as any more than the next person who doesn't like purple prose, but. He, as we talked about at the time, he's actually pretty good at it when he wants to be. And if, if you're going to go over the top, Bradbury knows how to go over the top. Yeah, better than a lot of people. And once you could, if you if you can kind of get on his wavelength and vibe there, then you'll find a pretty magical book. My good boy book for good boys of all ages, but I think younger kids could benefit from this one. But also probably the early teenage years is the sweet spot for this. Watership Down and obvious choice there but the reason i went with watership down is because i think maybe even unlike tolkien what watership down actually gives you in addition to the virtue courage and all this all the normal boys virtues you get a lot of good sense like this is when you should fight this is when you should run this is when you should which seems to be to be not exactly a missing virtue in many boys books but just not one that people think of that much you know actually you just want to get them excited to go out there and kill the bad guy. kill the bad guys well yeah. sometimes it's better to live to fight another day sometimes it's better to just die fighting the bad guy some watership down is sometimes a really sometimes you make the decision that you're gonna die because this is it this is what this is what you're appointed for this is the battle worth fighting and you may not you're not you're probably not gonna walk away right and then sometimes a dog comes and eats. The, and saves the day saves anyway. The day, saves the day anyway, and you just barely survive. Watership Down just has a level of sophistication and societal complexity and kind mm-hmm. of leadership that's actually pragmatic without being cynical. And I don't know. I was just, the more I think about that book, the more impressed I am by it. It, it was yeah. probably one of the top 10 books we ever re- we have read on this podcast I so agree. far. That might be high praise, but if if not, it's got to be like top 15 or something. Okay. Yeah, I had that book on my list to include. I I wasn't able to include it because of how I framed all this. Right. But. Well, and by the way, so far, we're talking pure, like you can find good folio editions or just nice leather bound. Uh, we haven't gotten out of the realm of any. Actually, my wife got me a folio edition of Something Wicked This Way Comes that's awesome Yeah. as a gift for something i don't remember what what the occasion was folio society yes the folio society if you want to spend lots of money on a book that you will feel bad touching it's the place to go it's the birth of your daughter it was the birth of my daughter yes that's right that's right happy birthday theo all right jake what do you get a bad girl anna karenina anna karenina interesting yeah again i'm not making her a little girl right okay so how about the ultimate cautionary tale for the bad girl who's in high school, early college, something like that, and thinks that she's just going to get what she wants out of life and things are always going to be great. 
It might, for a little while, it might be fun, but watch out for that train. Watch out for the train. Watch out for the horse. I mean, that's just like, there's no category on this list that you couldn't make a good argument that that person should just read Anna Karenina. Everybody should read Anna Karenina, that's why. Yeah, and it's possible that it appears later on my list in an entirely different way. But yes, I agree. It's a great cautionary tale. I said, I went a completely different direction. Isn't it interesting, folks, how people's minds go different directions and they don't think the same things? So I went with a recent... Maybe some of this is recency bias, but I actually went with Hell's Moving Castle. And mm-hmm. my reasoning being sort of sort of like what you said with what was your bad boy book? East of Eden. Hell's Moving Castle doesn't have anything like the moral ambition and structure of East of Eden. But I, I wanted to give the bad girl a little bit of a hope and a little way to channel it. And what I sort of like about Sophie is that She's a little bratty, but then she gets some perspective and she kind of learns how to wield her sharp, the sharp edges of her personality in a way that's pretty helpful and compliments Hal. And mm-hmm. basically everybody in that character is a brat. And the book is very kind to them and, and matures them a little bit, but, but not to the place where they're unrecognizably broken out of shape by the events of the story or anything like that. So it's just a sweet book. It's one that I've thought a, a decent amount. Like I just, I, I like that world. And yeah, I, I I went ahead and got the rest of Hal for my kids. And there, see, Peter's read through them. I think Ian's read through them. Geneva, who's seven, is reading through them now. That's so. that's so much fun. I'll probably so maybe, that's thirteen down to seven. All of them love it. Yeah, yeah. We we my my wife gave our copy to a family that goes to our church. Shout out to the Lacroix, and I think. Mom read it, 14-year-old daughter read it, 13-year-old daughter read it. Last time I was over there, maybe like seven or eight-year-old daughter was working on it. And the, I should say the boy, there's some boys in, in the middle there that read it too. So, Yeah, my 12-year-old daughter wanted to read it and then, my, and then the seven-year-old jumped on it, beat her to it. Mm-hmm. And so, it was just her birthday recently. So, she came home, uh, a gra- a granny took her out. And Granny likes to take the kids to Barnes and Noble, and she came back with Kiki's Delivery Service, which is Diana Wynn Jones, but not in the Halverse. But huh, I don't. I don't think I realized that that was Diana Wynn Jones. It's Diana Wynn Jones. Huh, I'm sure it's nothing like uh, the anime. The anime. I've I think. not. I've yeah. not seen it. But she. She just. She wants to read the Halverse. Mm-hmm. She was hungry for it, so she came home with Kiki's Delivery Service. Good for her. So Diana Wynn Jones and a shout out to our good friend, Pastor Benjamin Sulzer. Ben Sulzer introduced my whole family to Diana Wynn Jones through Dog's Body, which I've not read. Actually, Peter's probably the only one who has read it. Yeah, Ben's been working on us for a long time with Diana Wynn Jones. He got us Dog's Body and we were like, uh, no, that's a bridge too far. We're not going to read that. But your yeah. son read it. But Peter read it and loved it and has and was asking for more Diana Wynn Jones books. So then I bought Hal and I think that was part of what led to us reading Hal on the show. Yeah. Yeah. He I, read Hal and he loved it. And he was like, dad, you really should read this out loud to yeah. the whole family. Everybody's going to love it. And so we finished Lord of the Rings and then we did. Yeah. That's so yeah. if, if a book works as an effective Lord of the Rings chaser, then that in and of itself is saying something. Yep. All right. What do you get a good girl? Good girl. Good girl Christmas book. I got her persuasion. Interesting. Yeah, I had that. This was the one that I had maybe the most trouble with was the good girl. Also because of how I I framed the whole thing. I could right, have just actually, gone Charlotte's Web if I wanted a, right. uh, a little girl or whatever. But because of how I framed it, I needed something of more substance. And I just thought, who's a good girl? that still needs to mature and things just don't always go right for her. And I don't know, Anne in Persuasion mm-hmm. popped into my head and I thought that might be a good fit because how many good girls do you know that end up in Anne's shoes? Right. And what an encouragement, what hope, what sweetness, what strength can you get from a book like Persuasion where things do work out well for Anne? She just has to suffer for a bit and she does have her lessons to learn, but she was a good girl at the start. She persevered. She was patient and eventually her patience was rewarded. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, my thought process. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, that was definitely the hardest one for, for me to pick, I think. 
Well, I think actually it was the hardest one for me to pick too because I picked Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's good. The Hobbit. Everybody likes Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Everybody likes Lord of the Rings. You can do that in Harry Potter. Well, you know, people get stuck on representation these days and you can only get like a book that has a character that corresponds to like the person yeah. that's reading it. And yeah. it's like, actually... Back before we had representation. We uh, just had good books. We just had good books. And, and girls like to read Lord of the Rings and boys like to read awesome, truly secure in their masculinity. Boys like to read Pride and Prejudice and they should and they should identify yeah. with Elizabeth Bennett. And there's nothing weird about that. And yep. it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, when a girl watches Star Wars, she can put herself in Luke Skywalker's shoes and that's fine. It's part of the magic of movies, folks. You don't need, yep. uh, what's the guy that played Aldo... Chris Nissian, the the Rogue One hero guy. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> not, not, not to go on a whole race thing, but I just remember reading a lot of articles about how that people were crying because there was a Latinx guy in Star Wars. And yeah. it was like, I don't know. I, I always... You, I, you my, definitely ruined my ability to <laughs> to pull it with Aldo Cal. Aldo, uh, we should... I can pull neither the actor or the character right now, and I should be able to pull one of them. Yeah. What's the name of the chick? Jane Urso. Jane Urso, and she is teamed up with Mr. He's getting his own series. He is. He's own, his own spinoff series. Jen Urso. Did I say Jane? Uh, Jane Urso. <laughs> Jen Urso. We've been in Jane Austen. Yeah. Jen uh, Eyre, our favorite book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What is his name? A lot of Austin on my list, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some Austin uh, on my list. Why can't we pull it? Oh, almost had it. It's like, I keep wanting to say Cersei. I think it starts with a C. But it's in like the, oh boy, all right, fine. I'll just look it up. Here we go. Rogue one guy. Cassian Andor. Yeah, you got it. Just as I pulled it up. Cassian Andor play, played by Diego Luna. Yep. I mean, I read articles about people who like took their old grandfather who was, you know, a Latin gentleman there and he sat there and he started crying because, and okay, fine, I guess so. But I just always kind of think, I grew up, Will Smith was my Avatar. Avatar for like all the exciting sci-fi movies and I never gave it a second thought. Anyway, that's neither. It's because of your privilege, my friend. It was because of my privilege. That is exactly right. Somebody should get me a book like uh, White, whatever that Amber Max Kennedy book is or whatever. All right, Jake. Yes. What, do you, what book are you going to get? This is not personal to you, but what book would you advise someone to get for a good husband? A good husband. Yes. The good husband, I got Mansfield Park. Interesting. At Mansfield Park for a good husband because there are lessons about being a good man and a good father that go beyond being a good man, mm -hmm. a good husband in that book. And I thought, so what, I, what, I forget the, even the guy's name. Sir Thomas? Sir Thomas. The guy who's a pretty good disciplinarian but doesn't have his kids' hearts, kind of, that, that whole dynamic. Yeah, he's a good dude, good, upright husband, whatever. So, I was just sort of was scratching my head on that one a bit. But I thought, instead of, I just thought, well, how do we add? Mm -hmm. How do we build? Yeah. And Mansfield Park has is about a good a lesson or a set of lessons, generally good men who need to grow and become better fathers. Yeah, it's kind of like 201 less. You're like, you're already providing, you're already disciplining, you're already loving kind of, but <clears throat> you need to have some nuance and... Yeah, and so, yeah. And, you know, if you think you're doing all right, it sounds like Sir Thomas, he started out good. He was doing all right. Yeah. That's what Park is next level stuff. So, that was kind of my thought process on that. Yeah. And... Good husband's a hard category. I decided yeah. to get a man at Corona. Sort of in a somewhat similar vein for a couple of reasons. Number one, it would just expand his world and everyone should read it and it would give his, him empathy for all kinds of people. Number two, I just thought no matter where you are in your husband journey, there's something to relate to about the character of Levin and his early marriage. And maybe I'm looking at this a little bit more through the new husband with a couple kids lens than I am the middle-aged husband because that's where I happen to be in life. But there's just so much that 
will remind you of tender moments from your marriage or exasperating moments for your marriage or yep. moments where you were just like, wow, women have like powerful women magic. I mean, I just think about that scene where they go to see Levin's dying brother and Kitty just knows what to do because she's yep. a woman and she just bustles around doing the right thing. And Levin's like completely paralyzed. There's I think- all of that. There's the temptation that comes to Levin to wreck it all. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a, such a complete book. It's, it's for everybody. It really is. You really can put it in any category. Yeah. Like, yeah. You want to be a better, you're a good husband. You want to be a better husband. You're a bad husband. Let's talk about both Anna's wife and her brother-in-law for a minute. <laughs> Wait, Anna's wife. Anna's husband yeah. and her bro- brother-in-law. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. Oblonsky and yeah. Yeah. Names are slippery, especially Russian yeah, names yeah, yeah. right now. But, but yeah, you have such you have examples of bad husbands and how things go wrong and you know, how you lose your wife's heart and yeah, just, yeah. No, you can. There's there's so much there. So you also have to get a gift though for a bad husband. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you gonna gonna get this dude? <clears throat> this this loser. This one's pretty on the nose. I got that hideous strength for him. Oh, good idea. I wish I thought of that. Bad husbands have pretty similar things in common, and uh, that hideous strength is for the idiot mm-hmm. doofus who doesn't know what he has in his wife. And what's the what's the line he had? He, uh, he dared with no sense of daring. He dared, yeah, how yeah. had he? Da- how dare he? How dare he? He had dared with no sense of daring, mm-hmm. and he's thinking specifically about sex. Yes, he is. Yes, about he is. how had he with his stupid clumsy selfish grubby hands how had he ever touched his wife with them how had he dared Mm -hmm. he'd never really thought of her the way that he should have as otherly as beautiful as woman Mm -hmm. and he has his revelation and and she has her own and it's a bad marriage to start and so yeah that good stuff that is good stuff and i have to admit somehow i lost that category when I was filling out my sheet. I don't know what I did. So I don't actually have a book for a bad husband, but I think that hideous strength is an excellent choice. So, I mean, did you have anything else in the running? I mean, of course I thought Anna Karenina could go there. Of course I thought- Any number of Austin things could I go I thought there. Emma could go there. I thought Pride and Prejudice could go there. I thought yeah, it depends on whether you want to give him an aspirational portrait or you want to give him a, this is who you are. Slap kind of, in the face. Yeah, yeah, slap in the face. Yeah, so, but yeah, I went with that hideous strength because it's just such a one size fits all. Every husband can relate to, good husbands can relate to feeling that way and looking back and seeing themselves in, in, in yeah, all bad husbands are like. Mm-hmm. Every good husband is good in a different his way, own, his own special way yeah, yeah. whatever something yeah that line never made any sense we never did figure out what the <laughs> actual version of it is though i think what the actual version might be all bad husbands are alike all good husbands are alike <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they differ from the other category yeah okay all right well uh, getting into more provocative territory here yep. uh what do you give should we start with good or bad what do you get? All right. What do you give to a bad wife? Oh, bad wife. Right. Yeah. I gave my Antonia to her. Interesting. Oh, yeah. That's a great choice. Uh, I actually thought about that. Portrait of uh, feminine beauty and feminine strength and vulnerability and what good men love about good women and a nice rebuke to, I don't know, it's just got a lot, a lot there and it's unconventional and well, the nice thing about that one is that it's a rebuke on either side. If you have, uh, you know, as some yes, of our exactly friends like right. to call them prairie muffins who just think that they're going to wear their frilly dress and never get their hands dirty doing the work of motherhood. Then and it's a slap in the face. It's like, yo, this is work and it's hard work. And and no man wants a prairie muffin. Mm-hmm. He needs a co-laborer who understands right. what the labor of it is. Right. But then the sweet thing about Antonia is that she also manages to do that without losing her femininity. Exactly right. Which is another women in the book too. Right. And so it's just a beautiful portrait of feminine beauty and strength. Right. And I think it's great. And I love that book. 
And I think that it can almost even be a subtle gift to a bad wife because it it's not it, in your face. It's like, not in your face, but it is going to just sort of like adjust you mm-hmm. in in ways that are pretty inarguable and provide something to aspire to and also deal with that. Like, I'm going to be a prairie muffin and I think that I'm great. Well, mm. actually, <laughs> no, no, no. Mm. Or I'm, I'm going to not be a doormat. Well, there's no such thing as a good wife who's a doormat. Mm-hmm. And here's what it looks like to not be a doormat. But to be there for your husband and to be a good wife and to still be feminine, but to be strong. Just sort of. Yeah. The portrait at the end of the book, even though our narrator is kind of looking on with this weird, envious kind of thing. In her strength, she has bent herself to her husband and it's really sweet. Yeah, that's a great book. And I actually realized I actually did have a bad husband category. I don't know why my eye went over it. My bad husband book is Jane Eyre. <laughs> because, I wondered. Because this is the crap that your wife will be attracted to if you don't man up, bad husband. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna she's gonna go find herself a Rochester. Right. Or maybe you're a Rochester. Yeah. Or maybe you're a Saint John or whatever that creep's yeah. name is. All right. But okay, uh, my bad wife book. I was torn between two. You can tell me which one I should choose. Yeah. So number one, I actually decided to just to be, just for fun to slot East of Eden into this spot <laughs> because we have one <laughs> Let's of the most. Get mo- some sympathy for that man. Yeah. Okay, I can I can make a case for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go ahead. Well, and also, mm-hmm. are you Kathy? <laughs> well, none of us are Scrooge, but that kind of monstrous portrait of greed and avarice and all that actually does help. And so having the worst <laughs> womanhood when it is deformed into its monstrous cold. <laughs> she burned her parents alive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> also, you do have a great portrait of womanhood in the Avery character in that book. So she, she ain't too bad. So that was, that was, my, one, my, was my one choice for a, a bad wife. And then my other equally subtle choice, Dracula. <laughs> World is full full of vampires, ladies. Would you rather be, uh, you know, sweet Mina who doesn't <laughs> doesn't give herself to the vampires, or that tramp, or one of those brides? Yeah, that's, a or, bad, that's a bad choice. Or a bride of dragon. I don't agree with that. I'm going with these to be these to be better. Okay, that's fair. That's totally fair. Because it's going to give you Kathy, and it's also going to give you. I mean, it's going to help you connect with uh, your husband's demons. Kathy, Abra, and actually Samuel, Samuel's wife yep. is a pretty great woman character in that. Yep. Her little medicinal bourbon or whatever that she discovers late in life and <laughs> <laughs> never doesn't need some medicine after that. Yeah. The time that she goes flying. But actually, I realized I did not use this on my list, so I'm going to do an audible here. My bad wife book, That Hideous Strength, because that's actually okay. a great Bad, bad wife book it sure is. for all the reasons that you mentioned for husbands but it's got yeah. an equally compelling little portrait of, a, jane. of yeah. a wife who's cold and scared mark and jane. jane yeah mark and jane mark and jane yeah. studics the, the studics. studics yeah it's interesting uh, so what but what book do you get for the good wife jake like our wives what? i got the good wife northanger abbey this was another hard one i yeah. think northanger abbey because it's just fun and maybe she can think about her daughters and laugh at herself and laugh at, help her daughters laugh at herself, themselves, and the gothic romance of it all, just like, it's just a nice little bit of medicine for yourself, a booster shot, maybe. Yeah, 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 I, I like that. Don't take yourself too seriously, don't get too involved in the drama of it all, and whatever, yeah, whatever. And, and help put yourself back in those shoes, and it was sort of like, the best thing I could come up with a corresponding thing to Mansfield Park. No, I think that's great. And I think Northanger Abbey is is our world because everybody watches TV shows and they develop their personalities and their expectations for relationships and everything based on those TV shows and and based on movies and based on pop culture. And even as Christians, I think we do it in a thousand ways that we're not aware of, which is why we do a little show called Sanity at the Movies. Pin for the balloon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not just a spoof of gothic romance, although that was the that was the Netflix of her time. For my good wife, I am getting oh my poor good wife. I'm getting the Dubliners specifically though, so that she can read the Dead. And this is kind mm-hmm. of going off of the the East Eden theory that you were just expounding. She will understand everything about a husband, and uh, 
his expectations and his feelings and his fears and his inadequacies and his insecurity. Like you, you could not name even as brilliant as Tolstoy is and some of these other authors are. I think the dead as, as far as just a one shot. Yeah. Like this is who men are. This is who your husband yeah, is in a, in short story form too. Yeah, which is just like as easy as it comes. I mean, just everything from his expectation that they're going to have some fun after the party and his disappointment. Yeah, even just that. You know, if more wives were attuned to that, it wouldn't hurt anything. But then just like his processing of her, and I mean, I I I won't try and do the story justice right now, but. It's such a good story. It's such a good story. And I was rearranging my shelves the other day and Dubliners was there and I thought about pulling it down and reading that story. And I, first I thought about just throwing that book in a box because it's Joyce. And then I started thinking about that story and then I wanted to pull it down and read it. And then I thought that book stays on the shelf. It has to. I mean, Joyce has to it stay has in the canon stay. because of yeah. that stupid story. Yep. So it's that good. Yeah, no, it, it is great. And it would be a good one to like read this winter when it's snowing or something like that. Yep. All right, so you kind of already exhausted these categories, but I, I had uh, separate. Oh, I'm still coming, buddy. All right, teenage boy. Pride and Prejudice. Yep, me too. What yep. do you know about that? I figured we'd get that one. Yeah. And yeah. we might get teenage girl the same too. Pride and Prejudice, hands down. Teenage boys everywhere need to read Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's begin to understand what the what real sexual dynamics look like in a healthy way, in every bad way possible. Mm-hmm. Let's understand good women and bad women and all the ways you can go wrong as a dude and the way to get it right. No matter how lame or awkward you are, you can get it right if you just follow the Darcy plan. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's so good. And it's funny and it's light and it deals with all the different kinds of sexual tension that you Mm -hmm. can feel in a way that's absolutely appropriate for a teenage boy. Right. Well, it's and just the, perfect. And the reason that I don't slot that in for teenage girls is because I think it's the one Jane Austen book. I think all Jane Austen books actually do have this sort of problem. They but, do. But she, every teenage girl reads that book. She thinks she's Elizabeth Bennett. That's right. Now, most what of they the, need to do is read that book and think, crap, I'm Lydia. Or maybe I'm Jane Bingley. Let's be nice to me. But I ain't Elizabeth Bennett. Yeah. This is not... I'm yep. not the guy that does. I'm not, I'm not the lady that is so awesome that she deserves to have the billionaire prince come and get me because my personality is so. No, I'm probably Mary. Right. I'm probably Sister Mary, and I might be Lydia. Yeah. And whatever the case, I need to learn the lesson of Mary and Lydia, and not the lesson that I'm Elizabeth and everything's great, and I can laugh at everybody else around me. And I should turn any proposal down because I know I'm better than good. I'm just too good for anybody yep. but Darcy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, young boys don't have that problem. I think I think uh, most young men reading the book, I hope, have the awareness to realize they have a lot to live up to with Mr. Darcy. And uh, there's your game plan, boys. Yep. You want to get game? Be like Darcy. Yeah, so that's that's the obvious pick. Uh, teenage girl. Now, I did pick an Austin here. And I picked an Austin despite all of the things that you just said. But the Austin I picked is Emma. Yeah, I think that's an obvious choice. And... The only thing I want my teenage girl to come away from Emma with is find you a man that will say no to you. Mm-hmm. That was it. And first of all, I hope you think Emma ob- is as obnoxious as Jane Austen thinks she is. Mm-hmm. I hope you see yourself in that in the first half of the book. And I hope you see the virtue in having a man that can say no to you. Mm-hmm. And so that was my choice and that was why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's ultimately my choice. I actually wrote down, depending on the girl... Northanger Abbey, Emma, or Mansfield Park. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I probably know more Emmas. And and every girl girl has a little Emma in her. Yeah. So, yeah. And Mr. Knightley is such a a dude boss in that book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do want your girl to set high standards, and Knightley is worth aspiring to. And what sets Knightley apart from Darcy in that regard is you get to see... Knightley just be a generous dude in general, mm-hmm. but really as it relates to Emma herself, Knightley is able to discipline her and say no. Mm-hmm. Darcy never has that opportunity. He's just more of a white knight in that sense and therefore more of a fantasy figure. Mm-hmm. Knightley is going to bring that edge of, hey, he looked at her and he tore her world apart simply by saying badly done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, that's scary. 
Darcy's not scary like that. Right. Knightley is is kind of scary. So however white knightly you mm-hmm. want to make him, he's not safe. No. And that brings some virtue and some discipline to bear on a young woman who wants to aspire high to understand that aspiring high mm-hmm. brings with it some edge. Right. So it is interesting to me that it seems that a lot of modern day Emmas can read the book and just say, ha ha ha, wouldn't it be fun to be the first half of the book's version of Emma? So, you know. But then you're not dealing with, I mean, then. You're not really dealing with the book as Jane Austen. Yeah. And you're not, you're not dealing with yourself and you need to get some Anna Karenina or something in you. I don't know. Right. But, but, but. My Antonia. Yeah. There is no better antidote for people who have a dumb idea about Emma than the way that Jane Austen actually wrote Emma, which is about those people. Like, just like Elizabeth Bennet, same thing, actually. I mean, the book Pride and Prejudice does discipline Elizabeth Bennet. It just doesn't come through Darcy. It does, but doesn't. It doesn't come through Darcy, except for incidentally. When it's revealed that Darcy's actually a pretty great guy. Right. She realizes she's been a proud prejudice snob. Right. Okay. But that's, that's not the same as Darcy coming to her and saying... You're a proud prejudiced snot. Mm-hmm. Forget snob. You're right. a snot, Emma. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Right. Yeah. Well, and then Emma's response to that is very sweet. And, you know, everything. Improves her worth. Improves her worth. That's right. Teenage girls could learn from, learn from that. Okay. So I think we're both agreeing on Emma. Okay. Your cool best friend, Jake. What book do you get for your cool best friend? Okay. So this is a little dicey. As a recommendation, it's dicey because it's got some. It's got some stuff, mm. but I picked Jesus' Son by Dennis Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were assuming that your cool best friend's pretty cool. That's what I was assuming. Yeah. And as a modern writer, Dennis Johnson's just really great and mm-hmm. really cool and uh, really raw and real. And I think he died a Christian mm-hmm. or think, had some so. confession of faith. Right. But he had lived a hard life and he writes about that hard life in some real ways. And so there's some gross and perverse things in some some things that he's he's written in that book in particular. So I don't know. It's with some cautions. It's like you have to, I don't know. I don't know. I feel bad about saying. You have to be able to read it, some R-rated stuff and not be tainted by it. And that's not everybody. Yeah. So with a whole lot of caution, I guess that's sort of... Yeah, your friend has to be cool, not just in like a cool man, but your friend has to be like a godly person that can handle some mature adult content. And in a place in life where he would benefit right, by it and not just be like, why did I read that? Well, yeah, there's this weird kind of uh, nexus point of enough desire and understanding of the material, but also... There are people who understand the material perfectly, desire to read about the material, and should never read the material precisely because of those first two things. And then there are people who don't understand the material, would not be affected in a bad way by the material, but also just have no desire to read the material. And then there's that special person who could could benefit from reading the material, would be interested in reading the material, and would not be corrupted by the material. So... Yep. That's why that's why we're not just giving it to a generic person. We're giving it to your cool best friend who apparently possesses all these qualities. And I actually sort of I didn't go with anything quite so adult, but I, I went similar. I said any any of the collections we've talked about and recommended of Stephen Milhauser. I see I knew you would say Milhauser for the same reasons, I think. Yeah. And and it's pretty Yeah. Milhauser's not as overtly like gonna talk about do a sex scene or something like that as, as Dennis Johnson, but he is perverse in his own way in his, yeah, bit, and some people would find him much more destructive actually. Yeah. More perverse while being less overt. So I don't know. The guy like Dennis Johnson's just like, there's sex and drugs and sex and drugs do what sex and drugs do. Somebody like Stephen Milhouse is going to be like, let me pull back the fabric on the reality of the boring mundane things you do every day and show you what's erotic about them or what's weird and mystical and druggy about them. And for for the wrong kind of person that can be potent in a pretty destructive way as we've tried to litigate before. Yep. 
Um, and we're going to do Gen- Dennis Johnson too. Yes, yes, yes. We've talked so much about Dennis Johnson and we decided next year, spoiler alert, we're, we're going to just do it. Cause two dangerous modern authors that you need to be careful with, but also wonderful in their own ways mm-hmm. and worth being worth having a discussion about at least. I mean, worth dealing with right? if you're going to do a podcast like this one. It's like you got to deal with Cormac McCarthy at some point in time. Right. And we tried and we quit. We're going to come back around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe with something a little less, uh, you know, less. Uh, well, <laughs> I was going to give an example of one of the things from Blood Meridian, but I won't. Okay. All right. Your worst enemy. Bleak House. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that one. <laughs> so the saying is, I wouldn't give my worst enemy Bleak House, but apparently <laughs> you'd be happy to give your worst enemy Bleak House. Well, I thought. Fun story about Jake's experience with Bleak House. Jake, like a year later, came back and said, I'm going to give this one another go. Like entirely apart from podcast or any yeah. kind of work, anything, I'm, I'm going to try again because there must be something to this Dickens guy. Yeah, I did. And I and in my mind, I had only read the first couple of chapters or something like that. Mm. And so I started reading. I thought I'll read this from the beginning. I'm like, man, there's a whole lot more. And then as I started flipping, I was like, maybe I'll just before it i kept going and i kept going and i kept going and three or four hundred pages later i found where i had left off Mm -hmm. i was like wait a minute i gave this book an entire book book's worth of opportunity to hook me and pull me in Mm -hmm. i fought through this book for three or four hundred pages however many it actually was it was at least 300 i know and so you know what Forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually did give this book a fair shake. Right. I convinced myself that I had it. And I came back and I and it was like, no, you did. You gave it a fair shake. Three or 400 pages is a whole lot of shake to give a book. Mm-hmm. And so I quit. And so, but my thought with uh, My Worst Enemy is, ha, read 800 pages of Charles Dickens, idiot. But also, maybe it'll do you some good because- People love it and benefit from it. So, either way, I win. See, that that's a certain kind of 4D chess. I played, <laughs> I played a different sort of 4D chess because I assumed that... At first, I was going to give my worst enemy some Dostoevsky. But then I thought, wait he'll a second. He'll like it. He'll like it. He's my, worst, <laughs> he's my worst enemy, which means he loves Dostoevsky. He might like Bleak House for some of the same reasons. And so, I'm actually going to give my worst enemy... War and peace, and thereby heap burning coals on his head because he's not going to enjoy it. He's going to be like, "What is this boring Russian crap?" And it's just going to completely defeat him, and he's going to feel like an idiot. So I'm, I'm being vindictive and petty. I'm taking vengeance now. By giving a, him the greatest, one of the greatest pieces of writing of all time, right? And and I, I know that because he's my worst enemy, he's locked outside of it, and it will do nothing for him. There's also the one percent chance that it will do something for him and he'll just love it and benefit from the greatest author that ever lived. And maybe he'll then become your friend. And then he'll become my friend. So I have a slim chance. It's, it's really kind of perfect. Either I destroy him and make him feel stupid in the process or I there's an off, outside chance that he becomes my friend. All right, I'm wondering if we so have this. This is similar kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a similar logic. I think I'm being both more cruel and more kind. <laughs> Although you might be being more cruel. because <laughs> I think I'm being more cruel. Let's face it. Bleak House is pretty boring. <laughs> <It's> pretty... <laughs> Eat Dickens. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. All right, Jake, what do you give? And I'm wondering if we gave the same I obvious answer did. to this one. I thought about it, but uh, your liberal Aunt Betsy. Never let me go. Never let me go. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I went much more boring than that. Uh, I, I did 1984. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, whatever. But yeah, you're giving liberal Aunt Betsy Never Let Me Go. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, I wanted to touch your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought Never Let Me Go has a great, provides great opportunities to get past some defenses. Yeah. And maybe touch your heart. So for those people who don't know, we both went dystopian. Right. Never Let Me Go is a dystopian novel, and it's about clones have been sterilized and used for a purpose, namely to become organ donors for non-clones. Right. And it works as a parable of abortion and of all kinds of things related to education and... uh, And Just the existential, you know, dilemma that we find ourselves in as human beings. Yeah. So, I thought 
you know, in terms of a book that humanizes the other and the other being other people's kids, unborn children, just whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought this one would have a good shot of touching liberal aunt Betsy's heart because that's who she thinks she is to begin with. And then maybe we could have a discussion about things that mattered. Yeah. You know, the problem with liberal aunt Betsy is you can't really give her anything because she's just going to say, Oh, what a great book about the migrant crisis or or whatever. Frame it as her own thing. 1984, what a great book about Trumpism. Right, exactly, exactly. 1984, she already has owned Never Let Me Go. I wouldn't be surprised if she's already read and owned, owned like spiritually, emotionally, framed it as her own. 1984, though, I just thought, obviously, it has to be a dystopian novel. And unfortunately, 1984 is the one that we seem to be marching the quickest towards. You know, even last year or whatever, when we did those books, we kind of said, well, actually, Brave New World is the one that called it more than 1984. But then yeah. old uh, Sleepy Joe Biden got elected. And boy, have we, I mean, not to be the most boring conservative pundit in the world, but man, we have been marching towards the Ministry of Truth and the Hour of Hate. And yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse amazing. is just like, ah, Kyle Rittenhouse. Meanwhile, the story has nothing to do with anything that they frame it as. It's yeah. just insane. It's, it's crazy how Orwellian our society is. Yep. Right now. And so much as I'd love to be more sophisticated than giving the most obvious dystopian novel in the world, I could do no other than 1984. All right. So we also have, though, that we're going to another man we're going to be another person we're going to be seeing at the family reunion this Christmas is crusty conservative Uncle Bill. What book are you giving crusty conservative Uncle Bill? War and Peace. War and Peace. Nicely done. Yeah. Let's bring some reality to bear on all this stuff, on history, on warfare, on all the things in the humanity of it all. Mm-hmm. And let's get past our uh, talking points and be straightforward and on. And, and Tolstoy, you know, it'll be, if he can hang and read it, he'll get some cool war stuff and some perspective on war that has valor, but also has the bad of it all. Mm-hmm. And... He probably likes to read books that have lots of history and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and then Tolstoy's perspective on history is going to be interesting and good. And at the end of the day, you're going to come away saying, having some of his best conservative values affirmed mm-hmm. of, hey, love your, love your family, take care of your family, focus on those around you. But also having his empathy muscle uh, exercised, which every yeah. crusty conservative could stand a little bit of. Yep. So that was my... That's good. I think that's probably better than my answer. I said, I don't know. I had trouble with crusty conservative Uncle Bill. I decided to give him Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Interesting uh, choice. I just, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's probably probably be pretty easy for it to backfire. Number one, because crusty conservative Uncle Bill might not read it. Uh, number two, because if he did, he might get the wrong things out of it. But I just thought at its best in some of those later chapters, you know, the ethics of Elfland and all that, we can add a little romance, a little sparkle, a little joy de vivre to crusty conservative Bill's You know, you went nonfiction on me and that's an interesting, you just opened up an interesting world there. Well, I just realized, Krusty, you know, I think I was just assuming you can't give a book of fiction to i think war and peace actually bridges the gap like if there's one yeah. thing he's gonna read you could have given screw tape letters to aunt betty yeah that's true that's interesting true interesting idea that just sort of occurred to me yeah really i feel like i'm cheating a little bit i probably should just cheating. just have to choose fiction but we also did cover chesterton on the podcast so i thought he could get grandfathered yeah. in uh, but we didn't specifically do orthodoxy yeah i don't know war and peace is a good answer if I had to give something that wasn't War and Peace that we had done on the podcast, boy, I'm trying to think what else we've read that's been. All my answers but one were from the, actually all of them are from the podcast if you count next year. Yes. Yes. I, I looked through the podcast list as well and I think that that's pretty true. Hey, you know what? I'll give uh, Krusty Conservative uh, Uncle Bill a copy of Winnie the Pooh. That's a good choice. One of our favorite books. Yeah. And it'll have lots of sarcastic humor that will be better appreciated by crusty conservative Uncle Bill than it would be by a young child. So maybe he'll, enjoy, maybe he'll enjoy it. Maybe he'll read it with a young child and they'll be like, well, I'd rather hear this than some rant about Biden. So, yeah. Yep. All right. There you go, folks. You have your Christmas lists. And 
obviously, if there's one book that you're just going to buy everybody, it is Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina, Pride and Prejudice, The East of Eden, Emma. Mm. And then forget anything else on this list, except for maybe War and Peace. Yeah. 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 I mean, War and Peace is asking a lot of the person that you give the gift. I mean, so is Anna Karenina. Yeah, but Anna Karenina has more hooks to keep you moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it's yeah it's got more yeah exactly all right all right i guess we should not neglect to shout out our lovely donors we should not so uh, why don't you just say which book you think that this person deserves for christmas robert and ronda the lovebirds oh i have to pick a book for them yeah anna karenina yep artful anthony dodger anna karenina nice little anthony cigar store anna karenina I hope one of them gets Dracula <laughs> or, or Frankenstein for that one. Uh, the immortal Chelsea E. <laughs> Anna Karenina. Nice. Uh, little, Jim, or Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Anna Karenina. Nice. Uh, Lily of the Valley. Anna Karenina. Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. Anna Karenina. The Keith Master. Frankenstein. Yeah. David's Mighty Men Trucking. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Frankenstein. Jay and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Frankenstein. Could have got them till we have faces. Easy win. You know they Could like have, it. Yeah. It's also a terrible book though. Well, the last third. Uh, Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Dracula. Nice. Consul Prime Adam. Frankenstein. Nathan, not me. Dracula. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Dracula. DJ Sammy G. Frankenstein. Yeah, nice. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Frankenstein. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Frankenstein. Professor and Lady X. Dracula. I think Pride and Prejudice for them. Lavender's Green Dylan Dylan. Uh, Frankenstein. Noah Constrictor. Frankenstein. Marichip. Frankenstein. Ah, great Gatsby. Fair and Fragrant Maiden <laughs> Chloe. Dracula. Anthony was cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Frankenstein. I'm thinking the cat in the hat strikes back. What's the second cat in the hat book <laughs> called? No, there was one. There is, yeah. He comes back. He makes another breakfast at the house of Bobby and Sally or whatever their names are. No idea. Thing one and thing two show up. I think it's just called the cat in the hat returns. Sure. No, it was, of course, followed by the cat in the hat forever, and then the cat in the hat and Robin. If you're going to get <laughs> the cat in the hat, Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice, yeah. <laughs> the cat be the hat. <laughs> the cat be the hat, yeah. <laughs> I dare say, real cats have had many fights with real hats, and Indeed. Justice probably hasn't dawned, but... Anthony, it was cold and hates life over in the pursuit of cheese. I already you said... You Dr. Seuss. You go one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <sighs> I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. There's just not enough plot. It's... Awesome. That's all right. Does that have like the beetle butter bitter? Yeah. When Tweedle Beetles battle with their paddles in a puddle. Yeah. I find that difficult to read and obnoxious to have to. My child has not aged into it yet. Maybe it'll just, gather some sentimental value. I just think it's hilarious. I think it's one of those great sort of from the id out of left field kind of like Bob Dylan was trying to channel this when he wrote some of his more off the wall songs. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I'd rather read Dr. Seuss that's a metaphor for nuclear <laughs> disarmament or whatever. Okay. Jujitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Frankenstein. Uh, Midnight Ninja Ellen. Frankenstein. Return, Return of the Jedi. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Timothy, the writer at dawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees. Maddie, Maddie, Batman. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Dracula. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness. And Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Dracula. <sighs> I don't know for them. I don't know. I Eternal think... Darkness and Eternal Light. Dracula. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is the best book about light versus darkness that's ever been written. It's yeah. true. Uh, Cold it's Steel Cody. Frankenstein. Jacqueline the Librarian Barbarian. Frankenstein. Uh, John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tennille, his mate. Frankenstein. I think they should get uh, Redwall. Wouldn't you like to see Tom Bombadil versus Frankenstein? That's true. I mean, Tom Bombadil would win. Yeah, he's like an ancient thing and the creature is just a creature. Well, Frankenstein's just a stupid mad science. Maybe if he made an army of creatures. Tom Bombadil is basically an eternal. Yeah, he's, yeah. Not that I've seen that movie, but he's probably in it, right? Is Tom Bombadil... Is, it, that, is it, that who Angelina Jolie is playing? Yeah, she's playing Tom Bombadil for sure because she's got that. I mean, you know, Marvel did the Marvel thing and they turned yellow into gold. But That's true. That's Marvel for you. They turned yellow And they into did gold. the gender bending thing. Yeah. That's the only gender swapping thing that I think happens in that in that movie though. So <sighs> We haven't seen it. You didn't see it, right? No. No. Yeah. No. no. I'm not going to see that. I'm so 
Are you not? Are you not going to be bored? And Disney Plus will be right there one day. And I haven't like, done Black Widow. I haven't gone back to Shang Chi, and they're both in Disney Plus for free right now. Yeah, the the good thing about you is you have kids, and you're not going to watch it with them. So you'd have to be really bored, have a time of like the wife and kids are out, and then choose to blow it on Eternals instead of like Predator or something like awesome. Which I would never. Do. Yeah, I would never make that mistake. You, yeah, yeah. There's there's always have, enough. I am a completionist, but I consider my completionism with Marvel to have ended with Endgame. And now you're just cherry picking the spider things. That's exactly it. Mm. Cherry picking the spider things is all there is to do. Cherry picking the spider things, the Jake Menzel story. Dawn <laughs> of Justice. I'll probably close out the Guardians and close out Thor's. Uh, and there's no way we can't talk about Guardians podcast and uh, not this podcast, but the other podcast. And yeah. yeah. So I'll close out Guardians. I'll close out Thor's arc and I'll close out. Spider-Man. I'll I'll keep cherry picking spider things. Yeah, I guess I'll probably try that Hawkeye diehard thing, but uh, I'm not excited about it at all. I mean, the cover, the preview made it look all right. It looks cute. It looked kind of cute and Christmassy. So yeah, I mean, I I feel duty bound, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> did you try Captain and the Winter? Mm, I think the Winter Soldier. I I was like looking at my computer as yeah, my I wife tried that. Tried one. it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that that's about all we're going to get out of. I mean, although Jeremy Renner and What's-Her-Face are better than... Yeah, I just think Jeremy Renner is going to bring enough juice that I'm going to want to see it through, even if it's not that great. I just don't... I think he's about as flat as those other guys. But when you put in uh, Haley Steinfeld, she's she's pretty great. And so she might bring a little bit more to it. She's great. And and the Booketing Podcast should actually read the book True Grit one of these years because that would be fun to do. Yeah, that would be fun to do. Uh, I hear it's quite well she's written. She's also Spider-Gwen. She is Spider-Gwen and she's good. She's good as Spider-Gwen. She good. She's good. She's good as Maddie Ross in True Grit. Certainly yeah. better than Kim Darby in the stupid John Wayne True Grit, which... Well, but come on. All right. I mean, she is terrible, but... <laughs> she's terrible. But, but what were they going to do? Cast Julie Andrews? Well, they could have. I mean, Haley Steinfeld is like when the whoever the Matt Damon you character cast a bratty girl opposite of John Wayne. Yeah, but you just don't want her to be. You want to side with John Wayne when he's like, "Hey, don't spank her, Matt Damon, or whoever Mount Damon is in the old one." <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in the old one, you're like, "John Wayne, what are you doing? Let this spanking continue." <laughs> in the new one, you're like, "Whatever his name is." You're like, yay, saver. Jeff Daniels? Not Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Bridges. Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see Jeff Daniels as true grit. As true grit, yeah. That'd be great. Jim Carrey can play play Maddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. There we go. The horse thief guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Murderer. The, yeah, the Josh Brolin part in the, in the new one. But yeah, I really like that new true grit. And then, you know, the old one. John Wayne won an Oscar for a reason. Because of his entire career. Not so much because of that movie. Okay. This, these are all things that can be litigated. The Oscars used to work. Now they don't even work that way. No. They at least had some credibility to it. Yeah. What a joke, the Oscars. Frankenstein, 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 Frankenstein. I think I covered them all. Yep. You covered such people as Saxophone Alex, the other Saxophone Alex, and Dubstep Danny, Ryan the Terror of Texas, and Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who are no longer stuck in the cold, but please do send cheese. Ben Solo and Kylo Ren, John the Cosmic King of Chaos, Matthew the Mind Flayer, Annie Ario, Kate, Get Your Gun, Flight of the Valerie, Thor Ragnajosh, Stephen Dot Dot Dot, Pegladon, Christopher the Flower Hulk, Lady of the Crystal Lake, Ian the Death of Marion, Lord of Death. A uh, man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. Emily Nightshade, the haunter of dreams. All about the Benjamin, mysterious phantom. Jeremy, the dark-hooded lord of death and his brooding bride, of course. Maya! Maya! <sighs> so nice. Nice to have them back. Hey, speaking of people that'll come back, Brennan's not on this podcast, but I dare say he'll come back. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, we do still have to get through somehow before Christmas, uh, Room with a View, Ender's Game, and Fathers and Fathers Sons. Fathers and Sons. Looking forward to it. Yeah, those are, those are going to be the three interesting books to talk about. 
I don't know, folks, maybe we'll creep into January a little bit with the last one of those or something like that. But uh, making plans, trying to get back on track with the schedule and everything like that. Yep. We were just talking about it with Brandon today. So thank you for your patience in the meantime. Yeah. In any case, I don't have a catchphrase to say. Our other podcasts, I have a catchphrase and then I throw to Jake, but that doesn't actually happen on the booking. Instead, we just cut in with the music whenever we feel like it. (laughs) 